What is up, Kangaroo Chasers, and welcome to a special off-season episode of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. And this one, if you're a regular listener, is very different. Uh, it's a podumentary. Uh, what is that? Uh, it's a word I just made up right now, which is a documentary on podcast form. Uh, this one comes from Aaron Sutcliffe. He's a sports editor from the UK. And he recorded this piece about development of rugby league in the Americas uh, in the lead up, especially for Brazil and Jamaica to the World Cup. Um, it was recorded just before or he finalized it just as the World Cup was being postponed. Uh, but a great listen. Um, if you're new to the to chasing kangaroos, you're going to learn a lot from this one. If you've been with us as a, as a kangaroo chaser for a while, you're going to hear a lot of familiar voices and hear about a lot of familiar names on this one as well. Uh, so really exciting stuff. Thanks to Aaron. Once I heard this piece, I said, mate, I need to share this with the kangaroo chasers. So very grateful to Aaron for letting us do so as well. Guys, if you like this one, uh, we've, we've actually spoken a fair bit about rugby league in the Americas and not just the USA and Canada. But if you go back deep into our catalogue, episode 79, it's called Chile Football A13, uh, which is with the national head coach of Chile, Rodrigo Miller. That was a great episode. If you go back even further, the Latin Godfather with Ro Rob Bergen. It was a solo episode with Rob Bergen. That one's actually a really good prequel to this, this podumentary. So you're learning about stuff in the lead up to the World Cup. Well, if you listen to that one with Rob, episode 43, it's pretty much the entire history of Latin Rugby League before that. So that's a really good prequel to this one if you do want to go back and have a listen. Uh, and also episode 34, today I learned about Rugby League in Brazil, which was with Zach Grundy. Just three of the awesome uh, American or Americas-based Rugby League pods in our back catalogue. So go back, have a listen. But guys, enjoy this one with Aaron Sutcliffe. And please stick around till the end because after this podumentary is done, I've got a little bit of news about the next season of Chasing Kangaroos, uh, which you guys will find very exciting. Until then, uh, I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 127 in the off-season of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. When I was a kid, my best mate when I was eight was Argentinian. I was thinking, why don't Argentinians play my favourite sport, which is rugby league? Even as a little kid, I had this thought in my head, like, it just doesn't seem right that South Americans don't play rugby league. Did you ever think that Chile would have a national team? Absolutely not. No, never in my wildest dreams. They've done really well that the women have qualified for this. I think that in itself will help solidify the game as Brazil's second nation sport. Before that heat, there was no international rugby league in South America. No sort of rugby league exposure in the continent. COVID has really put a damper on your expectations. Everyone has to rebuild now. On the 29th of August, 1895, a meeting at the George Hotel in Huddersfield saw the formation of a new governing body for the sport of rugby, the Northern Rugby Football Union. And so, the sport of rugby league was born. This is the last play, and Long fancies it. Long fancies it. It's wide to West. It's wide to West. Dwayne West inside to Joint. Joint, Joint, Joint! Oh! Oh! Fantastic! They've won it! They've won it! They've won it! Chris Joint! Chris Joint has won it! Almost 126 years later, 
a game that was founded in a small West Yorkshire town in England, is now being played across the globe. The sport remains in the shadow of its more illustrious neighbour, Rugby Union, but there's reason for excitement this year, with the 2021 Rugby League World Cup set to be staged in England, four years on from the country's narrow defeat to Australia in the final of the 2017 edition. Whilst the domestic game struggles to grow, further held back by the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, the international game has a chance to thrive. Some 9,000 miles away from its birthplace, the sport is making waves in a country best known for its love of football, the Amazon rainforest and Carnival. This is the story behind rugby league development in the Americas and how Brazil's women's side qualified for their first Rugby League World Cup against all the odds. The journey begins with Latin Heat Rugby League, an organisation set up by Australian Robert Bergen in July 2013 to promote and grow the sport in Latin and South America. The inspiration behind Bergen's idea came after he quit his position as media and communications manager at Queensland Rugby League for travelling on six separate backpacking trips to Latin America. From there, Bergen became fascinated by the culture he experienced and the people he met along the way, even eventually marrying a Brazilian, before deciding to set up Latin Heat after showing locals the sports whilst visiting Brazil. Latin Heat helped several countries field their first international teams, including Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, El Salvador, Peru and Uruguay. Currently, Chile, Colombia and Brazil are the only three Latin American countries recognised in the men's international rugby league world rankings, whilst Brazil's women's side ranked 13th in the world after qualifying for the upcoming World Cup. Despite Uruguay and Argentina's strong background in rugby union, the first South American nation to come close to rugby league World Cup qualification was Chile's men's side. Led by Chilean native Rod Miller, they won the inaugural Latin American Rugby League Championship in 2017, defeating Argentina 32-12 in the final, a result which secured their place in the Americas Rugby League Championship, which would act as a qualifier for the 2021 Rugby League World Cup. Oh, and he's called full-time. James Horvath has thrown the ball in the air. Jonathan Espinosa celebrating. You can see the Chilean fans streaming onto the field. The officials on there as well. They love their chanting in this part of the world, the Chileans. The first official Latin American champions under full Rugby League International Federation rules. Miller took great pride in leading his country into the World Cup qualifiers, becoming the first Latin American nation to reach the qualifying rounds in the process. I took on the, the role of head coach of Chile in 2017. I was more concerned about the rugby league knowledge in the country itself. I just wanted to take one game at a time. I was more happy for the team than for myself, but uh, they're absolutely proud. The skills were there. It was just trying to teach them, take the union things out of the game and introduce rugby league into the game. And I was quite surprised. 
it was good to see the skill skill base was there. The qualifiers took place the following year in Jacksonville, Florida, and despite losing heavily to more established nations, USA and Canada, the fixtures provided valuable experience for a fledgling international side. And it looks like Tri has been awarded to the US. Give the US some credit here, We're coming right down to the half, they really got some ball moving out and uh, really able to expose Chile here right on the corner. The US, you know, you can say dominated Chile side. Send that ball, Garrido found a gap, Garrido's through the gap, and Garrido's gonna touch down. And we just put four points on the board, Chile, welcome to the party. Chile scores, that is Thomas Garrido. Ladies and gentlemen, remember that for a long time, that'll be your barroom banter and who's gonna buy you a drink whenever you have to figure out who scored the first points for Chile in rugby league history at the America's qualifiers. Miller was thrilled to be a part of the qualifiers and was pleased to be able to compete, having had to hastily pull a squad together containing both domestic and heritage players. That was huge. We, we didn't have a great deal of time to prepare. I think we had about six months compared to, to other teams, but yeah, it was a, it was a spin out really. <laughs> it was just went so quick, organising players, or getting the team organised, domestic versus heritage players. Where are heritage players located? And getting into that into the bigger realm of things down because now now we're there. Now we can actually compete. That was really exciting. That was really good. However, despite their early success as the dominant force of South American rugby league, the growth of the men's game has stalled. Chile are now attempting to follow Brazil's example, with huge interest in the women's game, taking Miller by surprise, whilst also trying to implement rugby league within schools to create future generations of players for years to come. The latest competition has been has been really, really expanded. A lot of interest, and it's just up to us now to, to work out where, where, where we're going to go because the country's such a large country of where we're going we're to set our hub going forward. The game is developed by the means of getting younger players involved, i.e. we're doing um, school-based rugby league competitions, uh, starting at the grassroots levels. Yeah, we, we've got to go backwards a little bit, but we believe that we need to go backwards to go forward. We need to get youth coming through. The biggest achievement would be school-based rugby league competitions. Their neighbours, Colombia, are also a country on the rise in South America. From humble beginnings, the country were able to field a full 17-man squad of Colombia-born players, a first for a South American nation on the international stage when they took on El Salvador in October 2018. And it's gone the way of Colombia. You can hear them celebrate. See the players, that's how beat up they are, limping on from the other side of the field. And the Colombian flag flying high. Daniel Sarmiento captained Colombia in their clash with El Salvador, having moved to Australia from his country of birth when he was just eight years old. And he described leading his country out onto the field as a poignant moment. It was an absolute honour to be able to represent my heritage and then my country. It was, yeah, it was a really cool experience for me to sing my national anthem in front of my parents and then having them watch me play for my country was a yeah, really emotional experience and something that will always stick with me. Considering where we started with those first few guys with Latin Heat to where we got to, a stage where we had a squad of 17 players, we still to date, we are the only, apart from Brazil women's team, we were the only Latino team that were national born players, we weren't heritage players, is every single one of our players was born in Colombia. Yeah, it was, it was really good to see how far we came in such a short period as well. Current Colombia captain Juan David Espinel Cano 
also played in the game against El Salvador and admitted that he didn't know anything about the sport before his involvement with Latin Heat, despite having a background in rugby union and is pleased with how the domestic game has progressed in his homeland. It was like something really new for me. I started learning from the scratch. Latin Heat was my first connection with rugby in Australia. We have people in Santa Marta. They've been playing and they've been attending all the meetings and they've been keen to play. We have people in Antioquia. Antioquia, the city is amazing. We have people in Cali. We have people in Bogota. We have people in Rio Acha. So we have, our, we have like around 10 teams, including male and female. Another man responsible for the development of the game in Latin America is Juan Huasso. Huasso predominantly worked with Mexico Rugby League before being appointed chairman of the Latin American Rugby League Federation in March 2018. He spent two years in charge of the federation, which wasn't officially recognised by ARLIF, the international governing body of rugby league, and found it difficult to make progress due to a lack of resources. Between the members who were involved with developing and growing the game in the South of or Latin America, we had decided to form a federation. Now, the federation wasn't officially recognized, but obviously we had a board meeting, we took notes, we took meeting notes and all that sort of thing. And they did elect me as their chairman, which I was humbled and honored by that. It was an interesting post because we didn't necessarily achieve the things we wanted to based on based on a lot of smaller political lines that we had to cross between each nation and certain things that we had to do. And the fact that we didn't have any official recognition meant that there was no funds available. There was not a lot other than ourselves sharing what we had with other nations. Huasso's work developing the game in Latin America caught the eye of USA, who employed the Texans general manager for their wheelchair team, who are making their debut in the Rugby League Wheelchair World Cup later this year. The Army veteran can't wait for the action to get underway and insists his appointment to the national team is one of his best achievements within the sport. That is going to be one of my top five rugby league highlights for a lifetime because being from the US and having the experience that I got with rugby league and then for them to call me up and say, hey, you know, we'd like to offer you the general manager's position for the team that's going to the World Cup was an honor. I was really excited about it as well. Kind of like, yay, little schoolboy moment because it's a historic moment. It's the first time the U.S. have qualified for the wheelchair event. So to be the first general manager for the first wheelchair World Cup team that's going to represent the U.S. is a huge, huge moment for me. And it's going to be amazing. Now on to the man who has achieved so much for Latin American Rugby League, Robert Bergen. Hey, today's pretty special. I'm at Toledo, which is near the Paraguayan border in Brazil. And it's about 40 minutes from where my wife grew up. And it's the first time we're ever going to run a rugby league session here. Very excited about it. Something I, I thought about probably seven, eight years ago. And really pleased that it's finally come to reality. You'll do well to find a more dedicated and passionate supporter of the sports in the Americas having worked tirelessly over the last decade to establish the international game in the region. The sport's rise in Latin America is nothing short of extraordinary, with Bergen organising Latin Heat's first international game against the Philippines in March 2014. Rob Bergen, he's got to be commended. All the effort he has to get the Latino Heat off the ground, it's been nothing short of sensational. And to organise an international on such short notice, well, you can't beat that. First game of rugby league for the year. Sounds like it's going to be an exciting night. 
The Philippines will be hard to roll, but I'm sure the Latin Heat ball is going to play with plenty of heart and plenty of guts. But that was just the start. The building blocks for a plan to spread rugby league across the continent of South America and beyond. Latin Heat gave Latino players a platform to play international rugby league, something that seemed inconceivable at the start of the previous decade. Despite Bergen's best efforts, it's been a long and hard journey to develop the game in a continent that covers almost 18 million square kilometres. Lack of funds and resources, a common theme amongst nearly all South and Central American nations, has meant volunteers have played a critical role in developing the game. However, nothing was going to stop Bergen from realising his childhood dream, a dream inspired by the continent's passion for sports. Rather than spending his hours playing the popular video game Football Manager at his grandparents' house in Skegness, he decided to turn his dream into a reality. He was determined to put South America on the rugby league map. When I was a kid, my best mate when I was eight was Argentinian and I watched the FIFA World Cup 86 round at his place and his family was so into it. They had food every day, there was music and all the family was there. It was, it was an awesome atmosphere. When I went away from their house, I was thinking, why don't Argentinians play my favourite sport, which is rugby league? Even as a little kid, I had this thought in my head, like, it just doesn't seem right that South Americans don't play rugby league. And then I think the next year after that, that was the Rugby Union World Cup. And that was the first year that Argentina entered into the Rugby Union World Cup. So as a little kid, I kind of had this this dream in my head that one day, like Argentina and the other nations, because I really liked watching Brazil and Colombia and, and Mexico and Chile, etc., all play football. And I thought, oh, I'd, I'd love to see them bring the same excitement and culture to rugby league. I travelled around Latin America a few more times and, and was backpacking and just enjoyed the people and the culture so much. And then my grandparents, they needed someone there to take care of them. I was just sort of sitting around the house. I was playing football manager on my laptop. And I started spending, you know, so much time and got into it. And I thought, oh, Jesus, if you're going to spend this much time on a, a laptop, like, do it in reality, just go out and do it. The fruit of Bergen's labour would come in November 2018, when Brazil's women took their chance and were awarded with a coveted spot at the 2021 Rugby League World Cup, following a stunning 48-0 success against a more experienced Argentina side to win the South American Cup in Sao Paulo. Since then, the women's domestic game has gone from strength to strength, with Molina Rugby Club, based in the southwestern city of Cuiaba, becoming the first professional rugby league team in South America. Molina romped their way to the national championships title earlier this year, and Bergen was impressed by the standard of play with Brazil's women having played their first international match just three years previously. Where they're located is out in a regional area, so they're quite far removed from Sao Paulo, and they felt that they weren't getting the, the proper development and attention from Rugby Union, which they'd been competing in professionally. So they approached us about participating in Rugby League instead, and we have some mutual friends that we're aware of, and I think they really like what we're doing with the development. 
angle of our setup. It's come a, it's come a long way even in the space of 12 months. I was here for the 2019 championship. You can see we've doubled the number of teams and then the knowledge of what it takes to play rugby league is a, a lot better too. Just cleaner play the balls and more strategy. It's going in the right direction. Bergen has assumed the role of general manager for Brazil's 2021 World Cup campaign and admitted that even he was surprised by their inclusion in the competition, having set the 2025 edition as their initial target. He's also looking forward to Los Amazonas' battle with England in the opening game for the Women's World Cup and thinks Brazil might be this year's surprise package. It was pretty unexpected. I said that I kind of thought 2025 was a realistic target and I didn't really believe we'd get in in, in 2021. So when it all happened for me, it was as big a shock as, as anyone else in the public probably. Quietly confident we can be competitive in, in every game. We've seen the last couple of years how topsy-turvy women's rugby league is. England's obviously got great history and, and standard of competition. We've met some of their players and people aren't sort of holding them as gods that they can't touch. They know that there are other people that they feel pain the same and they can be tackled and we can walk onto the field with them and, and compete. Canada made the semi-finals in their first Rugby League World Cup appearance, so we have to try and set our sight on being equal with what they achieved. Despite Brazil's inexperience in International Rugby League, head coach Paul Grundy, whose son plays for Brazil's men's team, insists his side will travel to England for one reason alone, to win. Besides that, Grundy hopes his girls can create a storm that resonates with those watching back home, having named a 47-woman-strong squad for the first training camp back in June, made up entirely of Brazilian-born players. I'd like to make the semis. I'd like to go past group stage. There's no point competing unless you intend to win. I would not prepare them for anything other than getting out there to win. I think if the girls beat another country, that would be the highlight of the news. I think enough to light a fire. I'm stoked. I'm very happy that we were able to get a bunch of girls locally and to grow a homegrown team and, and take them to a World Cup. I think that's going to be a special thing for Brazil to be proud of. Grundy was appointed as head coach in November last year and believes the side has developed rapidly since first witnessing Los Amazonas back in 2019. When we first went over there, we saw the national championships in 2019 and Rob and I looked at each other and said, wow. They were literally at a under 10s level. They caught the ball and tucked it under their arm and ran. But we could see there were girls there with no fear. Moving on, did a lot of work on the coaches and gave them... I suppose, real basics of the game. Rob then went and spent a number of months over there. So by the time the games of the championships, Rob had been coaching there for a bit. And I, I think they probably went to under 12s, under 13s. They went from nothing to really something. From there, we did the semi-finals, and after which they played the final. And quite honestly, I think they're at an under-18s level, a good under-18s level. Brazil will have the whole of South America behind them when they travel to England later this year, with all of those who have tirelessly volunteered to help grow the game in the continent, hoping Los Amazonas can be the catalyst for other Latin nations to thrive. That to me is the entry point, is a segue into saying that South America does have rugby league players 
able to compete. It's extremely exciting. For me personally, being there with Rob from the get-go and seeing where he has taken his dream, it's a really cool experience and really look forward to see Brazil Rugby League grow and see how they go in the World Cup. I know it's going to be hard for them, but they're doing an awesome job. We have a really good platform to move Rugby League to South America. I think it's going to be awesome. It's very exciting. I think that's going to help grow the game in the region and it's a, it's a big nation so obviously I think it's a great market to break into and I think it will help get that going off the ground. It'll help hopefully solidify that rugby league is a game that's going to be played hopefully in all Latin American countries and it'll grow and assist with development in that area. Bergen's ultimate dream is to emulate the club football scene in Brazil and hopes to establish a rugby league equivalent of the Copa Libertadores for domestic teams as well as the Copa America for South America's national sides. He admits that this is some way in the making, but has the backing of the majority of other Latin nations. On the field, I'd love if we had a situation eventually where we have like a Copa America in, in rugby league where all the nations of Latin America are competing against each other and we have the Copa <laughs> Libertadores, There's the club competition they have in football. If we could mirror both of those in rugby league eventually, that would be perfect for me but I know we've got a long way to go until that happens. In Latin America we're trying to push for nations to become affiliated or be members of the IRL which means they need to become observer nations and then affiliates. I think that there's a point to push to have those nations join that. There are people wanting to, to work extremely hard to get the sport out there so there's got to be an avenue for them also to play and I think there could be the opportunity to have a South American or Latin American championship with affiliate nations and then there'd be something similar with non-member nations so they can actually also see what it takes to become a member nation. I think it's definitely feasible. There's a lot of good people here in Australia who are getting the ball rolling over there. But Brazil aren't the only international side making their Rugby League World Cup debut this November. So too are Jamaica. Leading the Reggae Warriors into their first World Cup is Romeo Monteith, someone who has been involved with the game in Jamaica since 2004 when the sport was first introduced to the country. The island changed their approach to the international game completely after failing to qualify for the 2013 edition, emphasising the need to target their UK-based players. We made a monumental shift in our approach and we said, you know what, let's try to get two games in, in, in Europe so that the UK-based players can play together. We decided to, in effect, split the national team. And so for the first time, that decision was made where there would be a game, it would be Jamaica, but there'll be no Islanders involved. And I think that strategic shift is the difference in where we are today. This shift would ultimately prove to be a turning point for Jamaican Rugby League. Fast forward five years, and a 16-10 win against the US on American soil in the 2018 America's Rugby League Championship would secure Jamaica's place at the 2021 World Cup. Hands out, and there it is, folks. Listen to that crowd, guys. Jamaica has stamped their ticket into the Rugby League World Cup in England 2021 with a final score 16-10 over the USA Hawks. Monteith had realised his rugby league dream, a dream that was 14 years in the making, 
and was delighted to have triumphed over rivals USA to confirm their place at the finals. Personally, for me, it's all about the journey, getting there and being there. I have achieved the dream, that's a personal dream, to get to a World Cup. And honestly, that has made me at peace. That feeling would have been the best feeling I've had since being involved with the game. I think we had lost the previous six straight times against the US. We had been close a couple of times, but we'd also been blown off the park a couple of times. USA has always been that team that you play that you really look forward to playing. You always believe that you can do well, and then you go out there and <laughs> sometimes it doesn't work. So that game was, was good for us. You know, that 16 to 10 scoreline reflected. I was really more happy for the players who have been trying for years just to see that their generation was able to actually achieve the dream of helping Jamaica to qualify for a World Cup. And some of the players cried in it. It was just really surreal. He insists there's more to come from Jamaica on the world stage and that qualification is just the start, having been pitted against 2008 winners New Zealand in the group stages. As a group, we are setting ourselves some targets. We do have a goal of getting to the quarterfinals. We do have a goal of getting two wins in, in our group. You know, we have been trying to add as many top-tier players as possible. Jordan Turner and Michael Lawrence, you know, these guys who are at the Super League level. It's about strength in the pool. Domestic players will be in this team, you know. That's always something that we're committed to. If I know the boys have put in 110%, I'll be happy regardless of, of what the score is. Beyond the World Cup, Many nations have different strategies in terms of developing the game in their respective countries. For Chile, building on interest in the women's game is one of their key targets as they look to emulate Brazil's qualification for the World Cup. I would say that we've been lucky. We've started rugby league in two different locations in Chile, northern region and the southern region. We purposely haven't gone to Santiago, which is the capital. To me, it's a 20-year plan. Get families involved, 15, 16-year-olds playing, get the 10-year-old brother saying, oh, we can I sign up? Why not we call our games? And start that junior development through domestic leagues. I think in the future, playing international rugby league, there's got to be a lot more requirements to provide domestic players from the domestic league rather than international players elsewhere. Selecting a whole team of international players doesn't do the, the justice to the domestic league. We have interest from females, absolutely huge interest from the ladies who want to play and organisations want to be part of that. I think that could open up, open doors to, to the ladies to give them a sport they can actually come in and practice, train once a week, twice a week, come and have a game on the weekend and do like Brazil and aim to be a, a competitor in, in a World Cup. For Colombia, finding the right people to administer the sport, creating a domestic competition and playing more international matches each year are three key steps in climbing up the International Rugby League rankings. I think the next step now for Rugby League in South America is for countries to start realising that it is a pathway and for like the rugby players who aren't making the Rugby Union national sides to see that there is a, another pathway within a similar code. It's definitely getting there and the, and the only way to get a world ranking is to have club competition in that country. So it's definitely something that's taken traction. And if, again, we can get the right people, and that's probably the hardest part in Latin America is finding the right people that are going to be honest with the sport. We want to take the sport a little bit slow. You have to start crawling instead of walking or running. We don't want to go to America or Canada or Jamaica to play with the guys that had been involved with the game for many years and they've been in like World Cup and we don't want these sort of things. Whilst there appears to be a clear strategy for growing the game in South America, the picture isn't so clear for North America. 
Canadian side Toronto Wolfpack were forced to withdraw from Super League last season, having tried and failed to establish themselves as the first transatlantic professional sports team, with interest in the game in Canada also dwindling as a result. A lack of direction will only halt the progress made by Jamaica in qualifying for this year's World Cup and is something which frustrates their head coach, Romeo Monteith. What's the focus? You know, is it going semi-pro? Is it grassroots development? If it's grassroots development, where should we focus? America, you know, they just have to decide what the sport looks like for them and what's the priority. Canada, the amateur game has really receded. They have gone from four or five teams to probably two or one now. The pro game came to Canada with the Wolfpack. And if you look at what happened, did the amateur game grow? Probably didn't. They have to decide, again, strategy-wise, what does the future hold? South America, they've been doing things the right way. Started with the seeds of Latin Heat. Now there are three members of the IRL, which is great. I think over the next five years, you'll see at least another three or four countries joining. However, amongst all the success stories heading into the 2021 World Cup, if there's one sport that has been most negatively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, it might well be Rugby League. The 2020 Super League season was plagued by postponements, which resulted in the season finishing early, and cancellations have been an all-too-regular occurrence during the current campaign as well. The impact of the pandemic on the international game has been paramount. Just one international rugby league game was played in 2020, a fixture between Netherlands and Germany. In June of this year, Brazil's men's side took on the Philippines, a game organised by Bergen, which marked the return of international rugby league after a near 10-month absence. Referee blows time on, and we're underway in the international rugby league match between Brazil and Philippines. COVID has severely halted the development of the game in the Americas, a setback that might prove too difficult to overcome for some nations. This only adds to the geographical and financial challenges that faced almost all of the countries in the region. Travel is one thing that we need to be, be mindful in South America with all the nations. It is quite an expense. To take 30 players from Bolivia to Peru, there's quite an expense. Accommodation, that. so these are the things that could be taken into consideration as well. Especially for the domestic guys, it's pretty difficult for them to get money to travel overseas. Some of the guys that played in Chile, it was the first time they bid on an aeroplane when they had to travel overseas to the States. 2020, everything was set to play in Colombia. We were talking to Mexico, Peru, Uruguay, Chile, Brazil. It was like six teams going to Colombia to play and COVID. It's not going to be cancelled because we don't, we don't want to use this word, but we are going to say, okay, it's going to be postponed to 2021 or maybe 2022. I think it's more about money. I think it's a little bit expensive. Even here, if we want to do like a streaming game, it's going to cost us $1,500. And it's money that you can spend doing like something else. The thing that will hold it back is geography to start and, of course, money. But they're a nation that, yeah, will surprise me. Realistically, 10 years ago, it was considered that Brazil had outdo America's economy by now. And I think that's the trick, shortening that space. There's no lack of people to play. Funding has always been a major issue, especially when it comes on to travel. It's very expensive for flights and hotels. And over the years, unless the players were paying for it themselves, 
there have been few trips where, you know, the association has been able to cover all the costs. So that's the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is really funding over the years. I think for us, based on where we are geographically, you know, we're in the Caribbean, we really don't have a lot of options for games. If you look at Europe, teams like Serbia and Malta and those countries, you know, they get to play quite a number of games per year. Whereas Jamaica, typically we were playing one game per year for a long stretch, sometimes two. That doesn't really do justice to develop a system. I anticipate it's going to be a slow grind due to COVID. You know, if, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd be sitting here and telling you that within five years, we'll have three to 4,000 players. I'm confident. But due to COVID, we're going to have to be very inventive about what we do and how we try to promote the game. We were on a real good trajectory in 2019 before COVID. You know, we started a women's game last year. If in five years' time, if I can have 3,000 Jamaicans playing rugby league, that's, that's a success for me. COVID being what it is, people are afraid of contact sports and all that. So that's what I'm more worried about. Will mothers allow their kids to play again? It was already challenging before. Having to worry now about COVID and stuff like that is going to be harder. COVID has really, just like everything else in the world, it's really put a damper on your expectations, how you were looking at things before. As if that wasn't bad enough, COVID remains a constant threat to the staging of the 2021 World Cup. Organisers have worked tirelessly to create a biosecure bubble for the tournament, only to be blindsided by the sport's two biggest powerhouses completely out of the blue. That's a huge blow ahead of this autumn's Rugby League World Cup due to take place in England. Holders Australia and New Zealand will not be competing due to player welfare and safety concerns. The decision was received poorly by the majority of the Rugby League community and European Rugby League General Manager David Butler called for some solidarity within the international game. Well, it's very disappointing at a time where the game needs some solidarity. That doesn't appear to be being shown. And it's a difficult decision to understand because we see that the Olympic Games is taking place at the minute and the athletes are over in Tokyo competing against the best in the world. I think it's very confusing messages as well that have come out of the situation. So the players' union has identified that, that the players haven't really been involved in the decision and there's some disquiet amongst the players. However, despite the uproar, Australian Rugby League journalist Matt Pritchard is quick to point out that both nations have said they are willing to play the tournament in 2022 amidst a rising Covid cases in the UK. But the one thing which people are forgetting is they want, they don't want to withdraw, that is, well, they are going to be withdrawing, but they also want it to be run in 2022, which apparently of course the whole thing is going to be paid for television rights with rugby. Whilst it appears likely that the World Cup will be postponed in the wake of two key nations pulling out of the tournament, speaking to Sky Sports, Rugby League World Cup Chief Executive John Dutton remains hopeful of hosting the World Cup later this year as planned. 
but admitted there are currently three options on the table with regard to the staging of the tournament. We still want to stage the tournament. We've had two emergency board meetings since last Thursday and the board are unanimous that if we are able, we want to stage the tournament in 2021 authentically and with 50-50. As I mentioned at the start, we have to be responsible given the level of public investment, given our broadcast partners, our commercial partners. So we have always had alternative options and they include both postponement, as unpalatable as that is at this point in time, and also not staging events at all. There are three options forward, 21, 22, and not as well. Naturally, Bergen was extremely disappointed by the news and has been left in the dark as to the future of the tournament. Speaking on the 4020 podcast, Bergen admitted the uncertainty surrounding the World Cup is affecting his livelihood, having recently quit his job and purchased flights to England for all the players and staff the day before Australia and New Zealand made their shock joint announcement. I probably have a dozen conversations a day that end with the phrase, but that depends on the World Cup. That could be whether we're selling our car, whether my wife's getting a dog at Christmas time. It could be whether the South American Championship happens next year or the World Cup gets postponed and every fixture that we have gets pushed out by 12 months. I've got players constantly messaging me, but all I can keep saying to people is it all depends on the outcome of the World Cup. That's my entire life at the moment. Whilst the decision on whether the tournament will go ahead remains in the balance, one thing is for certain. Brazil and Jamaica will represent the Americas at the Rugby League World Cup. The two nations may have to wait one further year to make their debut on Rugby League's biggest stage, but it will certainly be worth the wait. When the time comes, 13 Brazilians will become the first to represent their nation at a World Cup, a nation that has a population of more than 211 million people, and one that only started playing the sport three years ago. Their story is one of hard work, perseverance and opportunity, Soon it will be time to show the world that Rugby League does have a future in South America. That Rugby League could have a new global powerhouse. Brazil. Alright guys, thanks for sticking around to the end for a little bit of news as I promised. And if you're a long-term kangaroo chaser, you will be excited by this one, that's for sure. Um, Next year, Chasing Kangaroos, we're planning a couple of different shows, so... Of course, Chasing Kangaroos will be with you regularly in the lead-up to the World Cup. It's going to be huge. You already know that Big T and Mary Kay, the ladies who league, will have will have an NRLW show coming as soon as the NRLW kicks off, or, or probably about a month or two before that, actually. And we're announcing another show right here, right now. I'm very pleased to announce that uh, Mr. Rugby League in America, Nate Gladden, uh, will be joining Chasing Kangaroos. He's part of the Chasing Kangaroos family now, Mr. Popcorn and Whiskey. And uh, Rugby League in America will be coming at you from this very channel. Wherever you're listening to to Chasing Kangaroos right now, Rugby League in America is coming. Uh, Nate and I have teamed up for this one. Uh, we're bringing him back. He hasn't podcasted really about Rugby League for like a couple of years now almost, it feels like. So we're bringing him back and it's going to be bigger and better than ever. And more on that later. But for now, welcome, Nate Gladden, to the Chasing Kangaroos family. It's time for popcorn and whiskey. And uh, we're really excited. You'll be hearing 
you'll be hearing the first episode of Rugby League in America on Chasing Kangaroos very soon. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot going on over there. And we're going to be able to unpack it all bigger and better than ever. So, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back soon. Uh, Enjoy the off-season. And that's it from me.